You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good to see you today. Um, I want to say thanks to everybody that came and helped us yesterday at Madison Street Festival. We had a lot of our church family that came out and served, and um, some of you came and got in our tent there and helped us uh, greet people, and we were really, really grateful for that. It was a really, really hot, but really, really good day. So... Um, over the month of October, we're going to pause our uh, walk through Exodus again, and we are going to go through the letter of Second Peter. And uh, we're pretty excited about that. When October is over, we'll hop back into Exodus, and we'll walk through it for the remainder of the year. So this morning, we are going to dive into it. Um, if you've ever been to my office or you know me, um, you know I have a few books. Um, and... I've had people ask me before in my office, have you seriously actually read all of these books? And the answer to that question is no. Um, I've read most of them, um, but I've got one whole like case that are on the need to read list. So there's like this big long stack waiting. Um, My thing is um, about, I'll read three or four books at one time. Usually I will completely finish one of them. Um, Now, if somebody hasn't hooked me by halfway through a book, that's on them. That's usually not the reason why I don't finish, though. Um, I, I get distracted or I just lose interest or whatever the case may be. Uh, anybody else in here struggle at all maybe with finishing things that you start? Are there a few people? Okay, good. I feel a little bit better. Um, if it's me and my books, you know, sometimes it, like I said, it can be distractions. Um, I've actually been trying to write a book for about five or six years. I'm not sure why or how that gets sidetracked every time I start trying to do it again. Um, I think sometimes we don't finish things we start because we're afraid of failing. And you may hear that and go, what in the world do you mean by that? Well, something in our brain actually tells us, you know, if I don't technically finish this, then I technically can't fail at it. Like if I don't ever finish this book and nobody ever reads it, then there can't be anyone who hates it. And therefore I'll just be fine. It kind of all washes itself out. Well, that's ridiculous thinking, but there's all these reasons why we don't finish distraction, fear of failure. For some of us, sometimes maybe it's just plain flat laziness, whatever it is, many of us don't finish. And as a result, um, there are times that we wind up feeling guilt or shame or both. And in light of that, here's something to be aware of. We very, very often allow our shortcomings to influence our view of God. This is why we need to be aware of this. We very often allow our own shortcomings to influence our view of how we see God. And here's why this is relevant. God finishes everything he starts. God finishes everything that he begins. God doesn't renege on promises. Um, God is faithful in all that he commits to do and all that he begins. And that has eternally significant implications on what we believe about our salvation. So this is important. This letter is called Second Peter, and so therefore implies there was another one. There was. There was one before this, First Peter. We went through First Peter several years ago when we were transitioning to missional communities. 
the letter of 1 Peter, Peter writes to many of the new Christians who are scattered from Jerusalem when the persecution begins. And so 1 Peter is written to believers when external forces begin pressing in on the church in the very first days. Well, this is a few years later. And Peter is writing this letter because there are forces that begin to come against the church from within. It's gone from external now to internal. Two specific things that are sort of raising up from within the church, complacency and heresy. You're going to see over the next few weeks that Peter very boldly confronts false teachers and false gospels. The truth of God was being attacked and maligned. And so Peter brings this word of exhortation to hold fast to the truth and endure, to seek God and his promises because God is faithful. He does not change and he will finish what he started. Turn with me, if you will, to 2 Peter. It's near the very, very back of the Bible. And we're going to read through the first 11 verses. And then we're going to come back and, and walk through it together. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It begins, Simeon or Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, writing to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire." Right there, just stop for a second and take a deep breath because that was a whole lot. Now look at verse five. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or integrity and virtue with knowledge. Supplement knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. I, I kind of stopped there for a minute and said, take a deep breath. Uh, And let's go forward because these are two of the deepest, richest scriptures in all of the Bible. Um, This is like a theological fire hose. So you got to step back to drink from this. 
But I want to walk back and I want us to start this morning in these two verses. And the first thing I want to point out to you is that Second Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, this is the basis and source of salvation. Okay? These verses explain what saves us, how we are saved, and what all of that means. We're going to dig into the whiteboard a little bit this morning. Uh, I know that some of you in here, from where you are, you're not going to be able to see this all that great. Um, the whiteboard will be up here um, after the sermon, but I also want to tell you, uh, it's there in, this image is there in your notes in the version on the Bible app as well. Um, but so let's talk about this for a minute. This all begins in the very, very beginning of verse three here with us discovering that all of this is rooted in what? It's rooted in God's divine power. This is also there in your sermon notes if you want to chicken scratch along with me. All of this is rooted in God's divine power, which has done what? It has granted to us these things, life and godliness. Uh, it has called us to God's glory and excellence. It has granted to us his precious and very great promises. So God's divine power is doing some things in, to, and through us. But now let's dissect it a little bit more here. God's divine power has granted to us what? All things. That's important. All things that pertain to life and godliness. All of those things come from him. They've granted to us, his power has given us life and godliness. His power has given to us glory and excellence. Through his divine power, we have these promises. Okay? But now we get to some words that when you find them in the scriptures, they ought to always cause you to stop. These words right here, so that. This is where Peter says, and here is why God is doing all of these things. So that through these promises, because here he says, through them. Who's them? What is them? Them, them are them promises right there. Let's talk about it in Hick. All right. Those promises right there. That's what's been made available to us. And as this happens, here's what we're really keying in on today, that you and I have the opportunity, the availability to be partakers of the divine nature. There's a word that you and I don't use, and we don't use it honestly because we're probably not thinking about it very often, and we should be, but we also don't use it because we think, what would people think about me? And that word is supernatural. We don't talk about the supernatural because most people think we're talking about aliens or ghosts or whatever. No, folks. If it's beyond the natural, it's supernatural. And everything that God does is supernatural. You and I have access to the divine power of God. That we could become partakers of the divine nature. It all starts with God's power. It's available to us through him. 
Here's his, him. Who is this that we're talking about here? We're talking about Jesus Christ. And so what we understand is, again, the power of God is available to you and I through what God did through his son, through his spirit, through his word. Let's look at it another way here. Okay, let's talk about it in linear terms. I'm going to try to spin this board around. If I have an accident, just bear with me. Let's talk about it in linear terms for a moment. The power of God, and he scooted over too, so it's not in the dark. Now it's in the light. Ta-da! The power of God is available to us, okay? And as this works, this is uh, our, our knowledge of and our calling to his glory and excellence, That is non-existent to you and to I. It is non-available. It is not on the shelf to you and I minus the power of God. But through the power of God, we have the knowledge of and the calling to his glory and excellence. How does this come to us? Through his precious and very great promises. And let's just be real definitive about what that is. That is the word of God. And as we walk in this, we have the ability to escape from sinful desires, which we need that. And we also have the opportunity to share in the divine nature. Our goal is life and godliness. Before Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are rebellious against God. We are depraved in spirit and mind. Our hearts are set against him. His divine power has granted to us everything that we need to be brought back to the Father. Our goal is life and godliness. The source of the strength that you and I need and that we have to become godly is divine power. It's the power of God. And the activating connection between the goal of godliness and the source of divine power is knowing and trusting the promises of God, his word. So here's what we understand. The the power of, the power from, the power through the spirit that you and I have only comes through the word. So if you and I want the power of God working in us and through us, then we've got to know him and we will only know him through the revelation of his word. This is the key to the divine power that has been granted to you and to me. And everything that Peter says in these two verses, everything that follows it in verses 5 through 11, and quite frankly, through the whole rest of the letter, it's all rooted in, attached to, and flowing from these two verses. You could spend the rest of your week, every single day, just digging in further to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and you will be greatly enriched. Everything that he says from here on out is rooted in this truth. 
And here's how we know this. If you look at the very beginning of verse five, how does he start verse five? He says, for this very reason, because of everything that I just said, now let me tell you what it means. Look with me, verse five. Because of these things, because of this life-changing truth, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And as you grow in integrity, supplement that with more knowledge. As you grow in knowledge, with self-control. Self-control with endurance. Endurance or steadfastness with godliness. Godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Can I just stop right there and share something with you that the Lord just brought to my mind? Here's Peter, the guy who dealt with knowing, yeah, I kind of hosed Jesus there uh, and rejected him. And Jesus, days and days later on the beach, restored Peter. And when Jesus sat down with Peter. You remember he asked him three times, do you love me? But when you look at it in the Greek, what Jesus said twice to Peter is, do you phileo me? Do do you love me like a brother? Peter said, yes. But then that final time, Jesus asked him, do you agape me? Do you love me? Jesus understands that there's a love that we share amongst brothers and sisters, but then there's a love that, that we share that it can only come from the spirit and the power of God. And he says here, Peter, the guy who heard this from Jesus, first you and I have to understand brotherly love and then we can begin to understand the real rooted love of God. He goes on. He says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We lack these qualities. We are so nearsighted that we are blind, having forgotten that we have been cleansed from our former sins. If verses three and four are the basis and source of salvation, then verses five through nine, Peter is expressing the fruit and the growth of our salvation here. But he begins it by saying, make every effort. Does this mean now, is Peter talking backwards? Is he saying that our salvation has to do with our efforts? No, that is not what he's saying. This does not mean that we're now the source or the origin. In fact, what he's saying is, because of what I've said in verses three and four, because of what we understand that Christ has done, that has saved us, now we understand that through the spirit, we must make every effort. But here's the key. It's through the spirit. Um, We have, we must, through the power of God's spirit, cooperate with him. We have a lot of words of the English language that we've We have prefixes and suffixes and words mashed together. And I think we have become so uh, familiar with them that we forget what they really, really mean from two words being pulled together. You and I are very, very familiar with the words cooperate. We want people to cooperate with one another. But we forget that what's really being said is people have to cooperate. You and I, as children of God, cooperate with him. God has not wound you and me up and let us go and said, well, I hope it works out okay for them. We have decisions to make. For instance, you and I must choose today whether or not we will obey him. 
have to make that choice. We have to determine, we, we have the option whether or not we will obey. We have to daily choose to seek after the Lord. Uh, we have the choice if we're going to walk toward sin or in sin, or we're going to walk toward righteousness or in righteousness. But we have to make that choice. Here is the thing to make sure that you understand before you decide. When we choose to walk in righteousness, we grow. We grow. When we choose to walk in sin, we don't. In fact, our growth is stunted. But Peter says that when we choose righteousness, we bear the fruit of our salvation. If you go back and look at verse 8, he says, if these qualities are yours, if these things are being grown and manifested in your life, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter was with Jesus the day Jesus pulled over on the side of the road and cursed the fig tree. Why did he curse it? It wasn't growing any figs. Peter is saying, you can tell me you're an apple tree, but if there's no apples on it, I'm going to move on and find one where I find the fruit. Peter is saying here, when we grow in righteousness, we bear the fruit of our salvation. So we have the basis and the source of our salvation. We have the fruit and the growth of our salvation. And now in verses 10 and 11, we come to something that we ought to hold as eternally valuable, the assurance of our salvation. Look at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Is Peter saying that, we will never fail, we will never sin. No, he's not saying that. But what Peter is saying is that you and I ultimately will stand because our life is not built on the foundation of us. It's built on the foundation of Christ's completed work. Verse 11, for in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter in verses 5 through 8, you can kind of hear it if you're familiar with Galatians 5 and Paul talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Peter is echoing that conversation about the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as the Spirit of God brings the Word of God to life in us and through us. We begin to see more and more of a desire to walk and to act and to live and to love like Jesus. Now, let's be clear. Um, We do not always accomplish this. We do not always pull this off. But the key here is that we long to. That there is a hunger within us that says, Lord, I am not there, but I not only want to be, I know that through you I can be. In the first service this morning as Lee was leading us in that time of prayer during worship, I I found myself over here in repentance to God for some things that he was laying on my heart of areas where I have just over the course of the last week decided, you know what, my way's probably better. And through the gentle, compassionate, yet very, very clear guidance of the spirit, the Lord was saying, how'd that work out for you? 
we're not there yet, but there's something in us that longs to be. And so Peter is saying to you and to me, do you sense that longing? When my brother Paul wrote his letter to the Romans and he talked about the spirit identifying and confirming within us, are you sensing that? Because if you're not, here's what Peter says, you're as blind as Mayfield is without his glasses on. You, you can't see 30 feet behind you. You have somehow forgotten that right back there, you lived in those former sins, but God has paid for that in Christ. You don't have to walk there anymore. So why are you going back to that? And he says, when we do that, we're basically spiritually blind. Don't walk there. The more we long for the things of God, the more we grow in assurance in the faithfulness of God. Let me say that again. The more that you and I long for God, the more that we long for the things of God to be birthed within our lives, the more that we rest in and grow in our assurance of his faithfulness. What we do is, as Peter says here, we make our calling and election sure by growing in righteousness. We know that only the Lord could produce the fruit in us and through us that this would even happen. And so here's the significance of this. Let me share two truths with you back to back. When we find our justification in Christ, it's then that we can begin to experience our sanctification from the Father and through the Spirit. All of these words are so incredibly key. When we begin to rest in the knowledge that Christ's completed work through his death and his resurrection have completely paid for our sins and reconciled us back to God, when we find that justification in Christ, then we will begin to experience sanctification, the refining of, the being made holy that can only come from God, from the Father, through the Spirit. But now let's go a little further with this. That sanctification is what leads us to assurance. To put it another way, discipline, which is part of our sanctification leads us to assurance. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. Hebrews just a few pages back. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 7. It says, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to our heavenly father, to the father of spirits and live? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But our heavenly father disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, 
all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Anybody want to amen that one? But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Friends, that peaceful fruit of righteousness, that peace that is being described here, that is the assurance of knowing where I stand with God. Let's go back to Peter's exhortation. Make your calling and election sure. Peter is saying that followers of Jesus Christ, that children of God can have assurance. Peter is saying that the true children of God will endure to the end. We will, here's Peter's words, we will see the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? I'll tell you why. Because God finishes everything he starts. You and I, we do not just have the spirit now. We are not just advancing the kingdom now. We will taste heaven. We will eternally be with God because he finishes what he started. God finishes everything that he begins. Friends, if you want to wrap a doctrine around what we're talking about here, this is what we refer to as the perseverance of the saints. But I want to challenge this morning some guys who are fairly significant, like named Luther and Calvin and and different guys today and say, I actually think that there's a better word or name for it today. I think that what we ought to call it is the preservation of the saints, Because it all comes from God. Understand, if God is the one who pursued us, if God is the one who brought us back from the dead spiritually and even gave us the faith to believe to begin with, if God is the one who drew our hearts into himself, if God is the one who extended salvation to you and me in the past and is still currently extending this salvation... Will he not also be the one to see it through to completion? Yes, he will. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Let's close with this. Remember, because it all matters, there are letters that Paul wrote to churches who Paul led this group to the Lord and that group went to whether Colossae or wherever and they started a church and Paul writes them a letter but he's never even met them before. Not Philippi. Paul knows these people intimately well. Paul is in prison. Paul knows that he's probably about to die and Paul writes this letter. There is some serious love woven through this letter. Look with me in Philippians 1, beginning in verse 3. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my remembrance of you. Always, in every prayer of mine for you, all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day 
until now. And now listen to verse six. I love you. I miss you. I am praying for you. And then he says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who began the good work? God did. Who will see that good work through? He will. God will. And so Peter writes and he says to them and to us, friends, family, because of these things, because of this great truth of God's power and divine nature being available to you and to me through the work of Jesus Christ completed on our behalf, Make every effort to surrender your heart and your life, to yield all of you, submit all of yourself to him. Make every effort to walk in his power, to be filled by his spirit, to be poured out for the sake of his kingdom. Peter proclaims that today, that you and I can know the one who saves, that we can bear the fruit of that salvation and that we can walk in the assurance that we have of the hope only found in Christ. That we can be through his divine power, through these precious and very great promises that you and you and you and I might become partakers of the divine nature. So, what are you going to do today with these great and precious promises? I, I exhort you to build your life upon them. And Peter says, when you do, you will not fall. Let's pray together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.